Peace be with you. He is risen. Amen. 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 We are so glad uh, that you are here today uh, to, to join us to worship our one true living King this Easter uh, morning. If you are a first-time guest, I want to welcome you to Sojourn and just let you know we have something kind of in common. This is my first Easter Sunday uh, preaching here at Sojourn Community Church. So we have both our new and that, amen? My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are excited to worship with you. My wife and I have been looking forward to uh, this Sunday all week long uh, to get in the Word, to hear the gospel song and to celebrate the fact that Jesus defeated death. If you can stand to your feet, we're going to dive straight into the word by going to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at 12 verses here in Luke. Luke chapter 24. You can look on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. The precious, majestic, wonderful word of God reads, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wandering to himself. What had happened? This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to to preach this Easter Sunday, to proclaim your majestic name. Lord, I thank you for everyone who is here today. Would you, Lord, meet each and every one of us in a personalized, special way so that we, Lord, would experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Help us, Father God, to have clear minds and receptible hearts. Help us, Lord, to be impacted by your good news. Remind us of your great love. Give me clarity as I preach Please allow your Holy Spirit to minister to me and through me for your name's sake and glory. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever seen a holiday celebrated for all the reasons that make it fun, 
however, of its devoid of its original purpose. And of course you have. Uh, take the 4th of July, for instance. So many in our nation love the 4th of July, uh, namely because of the barbecue that we eat and because of the fireworks show that we experience. And what happens is we get so caught up in the tradition and the, the food and the fun that we forget that the real reason we celebrate the 4th of July is, for, is because of the solemn sacrifice made by early Americans in forging this new nation. Or what about St. Patrick's Day? So many love uh, to the, the good green parade and good green beer and good green parties that go deep into the night. But we forget that St. Patrick's Day is all about a Roman British man who was kidnapped by the Irish and when free, returned home to Ireland to preach the gospel to those who had enslaved him. And so it is so with Easter. It's a wonderful Christian celebration. And we have beautiful traditions. I remember growing up, Easter was like a mix between Christmas morning and Thanksgiving. I would wake up in the morning to a uh, Easter basket filled with toys. And then we would go in the kitchen and my mom would cook a classic Easter breakfast with ham, glazed honey ham too, y'all. <laughs> and with scrambled eggs. And we would make these egg ham sandwiches. And then we would go to church and we normally had a, a new item on for church. And then after church, we would gather back at the house and we would have a meal that came uh, in second only to Thanksgiving. And those are beautiful traditions. Celebrating with food, going out brunch, uh, putting on uh, nice clothes or, or whatever your, Christ, or your Easter tradition is. Those are beautiful, but we want to remember the meaning of Easter. Easter is powerful. Resurrection Sunday represents a power that we have received because Christ defeated death. And that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in us and one day will raise us from the grave so that we can be united in heaven with God in all of his splendor and all of his glory. But in order to protect that meaning in our heart, in order to experience that transformation in our lives, we have to come back to the core of the resurrection message. We have to remember three big facts, three big movements that Christians for the last 2,000 years have remembered and celebrated. And the first is this, is we have to believe the miracle of the resurrection. We have to believe the, the miracle of the resurrection. Do you see the women in this text? Do you, do you imagine what they're experiencing? Jesus was just crucified on Friday. Many of them witnessed it. Their Savior, the one they loved, being nailed brutally to a tree. And it's courageous of them on Sunday morning to go to the grave where his body is laying. And they're going to the grave with spices to anoint his body, to pay homage and, and honor to him. And while their actions are courageous, 
In essence, they're gathering around his body in disbelief. They have forgotten what Jesus told them just in Luke chapter 9, that the Son of Man would suffer, that he will be crucified, but on the third day, he would rise again. And they have forgotten this message. They have forgotten that Jesus spoke of the, the miracle of his own resurrection. They have seen him resurrect others from the dead. They have seen him open blind eyes, unclog deaf ears, heal the skin of leopards. But it was too big for them to imagine that he would raise his own life from the dead. They approached Jesus's tomb as, a, as Jesus being a good teacher or a good prophet, not as him being fully God, the one who can defy death itself. And so do many of us, when we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus, as the disciples said, uh, expecting the dead, expecting a good teacher or a great prophet, and not realizing that Jesus is so much more. He is fully God and fully man. He's not like Muhammad Ali. He's not like Colonel Sanders, who is just two miles from here, both of them two miles from here in Cave Hill Cemetery. Their bones is, is still in the grave because they are human beings and because death got the best of them. Jesus defies death because Jesus is God. And these women, they go to the grave expecting a dead body, and these angels say, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Have you come to this church on this Sunday, are you sitting in that pew the same way? Worshiping Jesus as a great preacher, as a great teacher, as a great rabbi, as a great prophet, but not as the God who defeated death. Well, what Luke is doing here is Luke is showing the early church as he's writing this letter to early disciples, specifically in Luke chapter 1, a man by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus. Luke has done the research. He has went back and he has interviewed people who experienced the ministry of Jesus. This is his account. This is the work of his investigation. And when Luke is trying to show the early church at Theophilus, he's trying to say, listen, have certainty with what you believe. Jesus really did live. He died and he defeated death. And to make his point, he points out the women who went down to the tomb that day. He actually names them by name. Now, if I'm building a religion and I'm a first century Jewish man, I am not building a religion based on and creating a religion, especially if I'm creating a religion, making something up. I'm not going to make up the story that Luke says for a couple of reasons. Number one, women were often discredited and oppressed in the first century. In fact, a woman's testimony was viewed as illegitimate. In order for something to be true, you needed a man. But Luke here is honest. And he's honest with his writers. He's saying the first people at Jesus' grave were not men, they were women. And not only were they women, Luke is saying they were an interesting group of women. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a reformed prostitute. People had known her in a way that 
that most people would not want to be identified with. Then he points out a woman by the name of Joanna, who's the wife of Herod, Herod's administrator, according to Luke chapter 8-3. And then he points out others. Luke is saying, listen, the first witnesses of the resurrection was women, and it was miraculous. And I'm not afraid to say that it was these women because Jesus Christ defeated death and they saw it. And he names them by name as if to say to the early readers, go investigate yourself. Go and see for yourself. In 1994, Bill Clinton came to the, the high school that I was going to soon be attending. My sister was a freshman there. I was in the seventh grade. And the reason he visited this high school is just weeks before, there were two gang-related shootings at the high school. And the high school that I went to was known for gang activity. He went to try to speak and to motivate uh, those on the school board and the parents and the community members there uh, to keep guns away from kids. I'll never forget that time. The whole section of the city was shut down because Bill Clinton came to town. Now, if you needed to validate my testimony, you could do one or two things. One, you can Google it. Google Bill Clinton visits Hillcrest High School in 1994. It'll come up. I tried it yesterday. <laughs> but second, you could go back to Hazelcrest, Illinois, a south suburb right outside of Chicago, and you can interview people who lived in that community in 1994, you can look up teachers, principals, and administrators, and you can do an investigation for yourself. And that's what Luke is doing here. Remember, when this letter is written, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the rest of these women were still alive. The early testimonies about the resurrection of Jesus, the the, the letters that we have here in the scriptures, they were just 20, 30, and 40 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 says that over 500 people saw a post-resurrected Christ. Now, people who are reading these letters will simply go and find these people. The resurrection is miraculous. But the resurrection is hard to believe because people don't die and come back from the grave. Men don't. But God can. God did. Jesus is fully God. This text reminds us not to approach Jesus like Muhammad. Not to approach Jesus like Buddha, not to approach Jesus like Maya Angelou, not to approach Jesus like Martin Luther King Jr., not to approach Jesus like JFK, all great teachers in their own right, great people, human beings who made an impact on this world. None of them compare to him. Jesus is not simply a good man. Jesus is God. The second thing we want to see in this text is we want to accept the message of the, rec of the resurrection, accept the, the message of the resurrection. Now, this is amazing. Verse 7, 
So the women, they come to the tomb. They see two angels. Uh, they, they fall on their face out of fear. The angels speak to them. And listen to what the angels have to say. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. This is what the angels say to these women. The Son of Man must be delivered. Not only must we believe the miracle of the resurrection, if Easter is going to impact us and transform us and not just be another tradition, we must also accept the message of the resurrection. And what's the message of the resurrection? The message of the resurrection is that Jesus must die. Jesus had to suffer. Jesus had to be raised from the dead. Now, here's the thing. Many times as Christians, we believe something similar to that, but not quite that. We say Jesus had died. But that's different from saying Jesus had to die. Jesus had died is a fact. Jesus had to die is a reality that we live in. See, when we approach Jesus as just one who had died, when we approach him as just one who, who just died, we approach him as our pattern, but not as our pardon. We approach him as a good example but not as our substitute. We approach him as a good leader, but not as a great savior. Do you realize that Jesus had to die for you? That he is not just a religious, a founder of a religion who's a good person, but that he is God and he had to shed his blood so that you could have a relationship with Jesus had to die. Without the shedding of his blood, without his death, we can't have life. We can't have reconciliation with God. We can't have a relationship with the Father. We have no forgiveness of sins. We are not justified. We have no hope of experiencing change and transformation. We have no hope of heaven. He had to die. See, when we look at Jesus as just a good teacher, it causes us to, to live in one or two ways, either in self-righteousness or in self-pity. Self-righteousness is a delusion. It is us looking at Jesus' life and example and saying, I can live like that or I'm doing a good job living similar to Jesus. And the problem with that is we are not experiencing reality. We are nowhere near the life of Jesus. And many times what we do is we pick areas that we're comfortable with, areas that we do pretty good in, that we manage pretty well, and that becomes our standard, that becomes our boast. And anyone else who doesn't line up to our standard, we look down upon and we see them as greater sinners than us. And we miss there's so much more to, to true holy and to the perfection of Jesus. But we set the standard how we want it so that we can feel good about ourselves. The second is self-pity. Some of us, we, we struggle with self-pity. 
Because self-pity says, I'm doing a good job, Jesus. I'm doing my best. I'm almost, I'm doing pretty good on the standard, especially compared to other people. So why am I not getting better? Why is my life not the way I think it should be? God, you are not fair. And a resurrection speaks to both of those. The resurrection speaks to the person who is living in self-righteousness by saying Jesus had to die for you because your goodness, your righteousness, your works is never enough. And the only way that you are made right with God is not by you trying harder. It's not by you being a better person. It's not by you making more rules for yourself. It's not by you being a philanthropist. The only way that you are made right with God is through me, Jesus says. It's through my righteousness. It's by me taking your sin and your record and placing it on me and me nailing it to the cross and giving you my spotless righteousness. Resurrection speaks to our self-righteousness and says, you never can be righteous enough. Ah, but there is one who is. He came, he died, and he defeated death for you. And he's crazy about you. All your perfectionism, with all your mess, with all your hypocrisy, he loves you. And it speaks to the person with self-pity by reminding us, by reminding you, by reminding me that we already have more than we deserve. That if we really saw God's standard, if we really saw how good he is to us, that we'll realize that God is not fair. Hallelujah. Because if he was fair, I would be headed to hell, separated from his measurable love. He sent his own son to die for me. How great is his love? The third thing we see in this text, if we're really going to appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and allow it to to impact us, we must receive the gift of the resurrection. Look at your text, Luke 24, 11. The Bible says that the, the women hear this message from the angels, and they remember what Jesus has said. In Matthew Gospel, about four times before uh, Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to die, be crucified, and raise again. And Luke, we see in Luke chapter 9, he does the same thing. They remembered after the Angels spoke to them. It came to their remembrance that their Savior had been talking about this all along. So what do they do? They run to tell the other disciples. And look how the other disciples respond. They tell them. The text says, they say, it says, the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. They heard what these women said, and it was too good to be true. It sounded crazy. And they did not believe him. They could not fathom that Jesus could raise himself from the dead. Why? Because they saw him as another religious teacher who may be divine. And they wanted to believe it. They wanted to believe that he could defeat death, but their circumstances did not allow them to believe it. But Peter, the Bible says, when he heard about 
the possible resurrection of Jesus, the text says, verse 12, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Do you see Peter? The apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Because he's always talking out of turn. Do you see Peter? Just a few days ago, he denied knowing Jesus three times. Do you see Peter? And all of his confusement, and all of his, his guilt, and all of his condemnation, and all of his shame, and all of his fear, running to the grave, hoping that what these women have seen and experienced is true. Do you see him getting to the tomb and seeing the linen cloths lying there? I want to encourage you to receive the gift of the resurrection. The gift of the resurrection is not intellectual assent. These men knew Jesus. These men saw his miracles. These men heard firsthand and saw firsthand the heart of God. They knew the right answer. But intellectualism, knowledge is not what saves. If we're going to be transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's not because we know everything. It's because we are in relationship with Jesus. Peter ran to the tomb because his friend and his Lord and his Messiah was no longer there. He ran there because he had a relationship with them and he was desperate and dying to see him again. Run to Jesus. In your confusing moments, run to Jesus. When you're struggling with disbelief, run to Jesus. When your tank is low on hope, run to Jesus. When you can't see a way out of your situation, run to Jesus. When your sin is overbearing, run to Jesus. When your future seems unclear, run to Jesus. Run to him, knowing that there is no one like him. Run to him knowing that because of him, you are forgiven of your sins. Run to him knowing that you have been justified. You are declared righteous by God even in your darkest moments. Run to Jesus knowing that he left heaven and came to earth so that you might have eternal life. Run to him knowing that he's crazy about you, that he loves you, that he is for you, that he's coming back to get you. Run to Jesus knowing that he is a way out of no way. He is a doctor in a sick room. He is a lawyer in a courtroom. He is a bridge over troubled waters. Run to Jesus. And when you see him, be amazed, be astonished. This text says that he went home again wondering what happened. This word wondering in a Greek it's heavier than our English translation. The English translation just kind of has like uh, just wondering, oh, kicking rocks. I'm wondering what happened. No, in the Greek, this is a word means he was astonished. He was amazed. He was marveling. 
But this tomb was no longer there. And that's the Christian life. In the midst of our brokenness, we're amazed. In the midst of our hardships, we marvel. We set our eyes on the things that are above. Not with, not with an arrogant certainty, but with a childlike faith. In Acts chapter 2, we see the early church gathering together to take a meal called communion. And when they gathered together, the text says that they gathered together to eat this meal, remembering the life, the death of, of Jesus. They gathered together with joy. How is it that they gathered together with joy? Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And Christianity has impacted billions of people's lives. Billions of people have been transferred from the realm of darkness into the realm of light because Jesus is alive. And every Sunday, we remember the death of Jesus and we remember the promise of his return by taking a meal together. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, Christian, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread. This is more like a mammoth piece, but we take a piece of bread. <laughs> Try not to take a piece this big. <laughs> we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we take this to remind ourselves of God's goodness and his faithfulness, to remind ourselves that he is a relational God and that we are in relationship with him and that transformation happens in relationship. And that's why we come every Sunday together, to strengthen our relationship with God by seeing one another, by being reminded of his grace as we look each other in the eyes and to see how God has kept us. And we gather together in community groups during a week to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness and to draw near to him relationally. And we read our Bibles and we pray as Christians to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. And then we take this meal together to remind ourselves of what he's done, but ultimately what he's going to do that one day we will eat in heaven with them again. The way we take communion here, those who are in the front half of the room, you can come to the front. Those in the back half of the room, you can go to the back. We have gluten-free communion to my right and to my left. In fact, I believe today, instead of taking communion uh, in the back area, you actually, we're going to have stations set up in the lobby uh, to create more space. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you not to take communion. Uh, this is a meal reserved for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But rather, I pray that you would spend this time like Peter, running to Jesus. That you would think about what you just heard and in your mind and in your heart run to him. Don't run literally in the flesh, but run to him in your heart and mind. Think about God's love for you and what you have heard. And if it is true, and I believe in my whole heart 
that is true. I've staked my life on it. And that changes everything. Let's pray.